and the essay is humour is one of their their human humility a part of their tenants because Sir David recognised that war is tough, life is tough, leadership is tough. You've got to lighten up, man. Mm. Got to smile and just 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 everything's tough and nothing tougher than SAS <laughs> and when you're out there. But you know, it's 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 that was too easy. How was that, bro? Too easy. Oh, you know, next time and and the humour, just self-depreciating humour. Because it keeps us grounded, you know. <laughs> so, okay, everything's cool. Everything's yeah. cool. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's episode of Please Blow My Mind. Uh, we're in lockdown. I never thought I would say things like that. I mean, lockdown of the mind maybe. That's where the podcast has traditionally been trying to offer value. How do you push your thinking out? But we're in physical lockdown. We have... We have entered a new phase of humanity and well maybe it's not a new phase maybe it's a reminder of the phases of humanity maybe that's a better way to put it you know it feels like it's the first time and for many of us it is the first time that we've been in something restrictive but this is not the first time humanity you know has been in something like this and arguably we are only human when there is something restricting us because we need to push through it we need to band together and this is what it's revealing to us a sense of a sense of wonder a, a recognition of our human our humanity our soul our our inner right i think we get caught up in the outer the shell how does it look what's the algorithm doing what's the what's the the six pack and we forget about the core the internal and and that's where we've all moved in day two as we currently are of this lockdown we are deeper we are more connected than ever before and there's a couple strange observations one is that we cannot see each other in physical form so what has that brought on? Well, I think it's brought on a bit of a, um, a transfer of meaning for the internet because now that is our portal to each other. And you may have noticed uh, in the early days when our Prime Minister said we we're going into lockdown that you were calling people and the phones were busy because we all started hammering the phones. But you jump straight to the internet, the WhatsApps, the messengers, the FaceTimes, and, and, you know, we are now using the internet as I believe it was intended to communicate, to stay in touch. So it's interesting, it's meaningful, it's scary. Uh, time doesn't mean the same as it did a few days ago. Uh, for many of us, it's about the next month and no further nothing behind nothing forward we're in our little pods we're in our little groups and that's us and we are reaching out like we are now to the internet to content to to finding meaning in a world that is reimagining what it is to be alive this week on the podcast i bring you someone who deeply understands life physically, mentally, spiritually. Vitali Lafaili is part of a small group of people who 
has been in the SAS. He is a former police commissioner. He went from labourer in South Auckland to one of four people picked out of 300 in the SAS. And I think from memory, he says it in the podcast, 15 months, a 15 month test to pick four people out of 300 and Vitali was one of those people. There's an interesting thing he talks about, about this little voice in his head and it said, you can be more, you can want for more. What is that voice? We go into that. It is the voice that's emerging now saying it feels right to be with your people. It is the voice that is asking you to trust your instinct. It's like everything against what the other week was. You know, it's no more going and going with the flow, no more being in traffic, no more high stress, no more chasing the dollar. We're chasing life. And this is the podcast today. Vitali also shares some tactical tips from the SAS days, particularly around breathing and how to frame your mind up for, you know, these wars we fight with ourselves, how to be a leader in a not optimal situation, i.e. now, stuck at home, stuck with family, living in the moment, living with a bit of fear dealing with the uncomfortable so we go deep and it's amazing we're connected we blow the mind and calm the mind at the same time and I really look forward to you enjoying this podcast so Vitali thank you brother for joining me it was an absolute pleasure talking to you on the phone and podcasting with you online and now to share this conversation with everyone out there this is interesting for me, Vitaly, because I normally do my podcasts in person. And, sure. you know, there's a language we have when we're with people. I think mm. we totally underestimate that we have that language. You know, there's the shaking of the hand or the hunger as the Māori do it. And that is really shining a light on this digital connection we now have to find our ways to trust each other in different ways things like our bios online become really important and the messages we send to each other so i firstly just want to thank you for you know getting back to me because we touched base on linkedin and <laughs> i never know if my messages sound like spam when they go out but I, i've been trying really hard over the years what's the right tone for sending something digitally and you responded and and now you're here and i'm really excited so thank you oh thank you so much well thank you for having me uh, <laughs> uh when you when you um when you contacted me on linkedin um the first thing i thought was what a wonderful opportunity to if i can add some value mm. um it'll be a nice platform to do so awesome uh, can we quickly go through your bio because because i mean i i make a picture of you in my mind but we all do that, you know, we have this awesome imagination and we like to put little dots together and, and you quickly became, you know, the saviour of my podcast. And uh, But, but we're, we are all seen differently to ourselves versus the way others see us. But if we maybe just look at 
two ways of uh, you articulating you. Um, maybe we can start with who you are as just the person and then who everyone put you down as on paper. Uh, as a person, uh, people think I'm very authentic mm. and uh, what they see is what they get. Yeah. And and coming from my background uh, back in uh, Greyland, coming over here from Samoa, wow. uh, I have those traits in, in Pacifica, which is our values is to serve and to respect. Yes. So, uh, and, and having a own um, challenges, uh, leaving school without education and my first job as a storeman, I know, mm. and, and struggling and living in poverty back in the day uh, set me up in terms of, I guess, uh, things around um, determination uh, to do better for ourselves uh, and also respecting one another mm. and, and just that real humanistic side of, of who we are and respect and um, integrity and honesty because yeah. that's the way we were brought up. So... Uh, and I think that's led into uh, my my positions that I've had uh, throughout the years. You mentioned a little bit about um, integrity and, and these things. Isn't it interesting that they come out of the hardship? Yeah, yeah. And it's and a matter of, um, and, and I've done a bit of research on that. Um, a lot of our formative years of when, when we're young, uh, and, and they call it um, accidental learning, right. where we get exposed to a whole raft of different things, some good, some bad, uh, and, and, and that sort of forms the way we interact with each other, the way we um, deal with material things, mm. a whole raft of things. And, and, and the good thing that came out of that bit of research was that um, it can be learnt, you know, just just the fact that we come from different backgrounds and so forth, which trigger actually who we are and how we respond. Um, we, the fact that we are different and the fact that we have gaps in, in terms of our leadership, the way we are, can be learned in later life. So that's really a, uh, an opportunity and exciting because it's, uh, it may, means that your mind is always growing. Yeah. Well, it also means that you have a shot, whoever you are. And that's the bit I love. Because, you know, we all like to position ourselves and actually society, for some reason, humans like to pit each other against each other. Right. And I guess in some ways it's good because, you know, you talked about, uh, well, I've read a little bit about that out of 300 people, four people yeah. get picked for the SAS. So you are actually, in, I guess, in some scenarios that you need to be able to weed people out but but also i guess it, what it reveals is that it, it asks a bit of you to find out who the hell you are and what the hell you're about and that is yeah. never for a government or an organization to ask you right it is it is about you asking what who am i and i i, I do wonder to myself if you only can sometimes answer that when everything crumbles away because all that's left is you with you. A lot of people do ask me, how did four out of 300 um, get into the SAS? Uh, and walking from Civilian Street, and 15 months later, we were part of the SAS. I didn't even know what SAS stood for um, <laughs> back then, because we didn't have Google and so forth. Yeah. And the first time they had advertised it for civilians. But I guess... When I look at it, and when I was a storeman, uh, I was an, I was 
not educated, but I still, there was a longing in me that I felt I didn't belong here. Mm. I felt that um, I I was determined. I wanted better things in life. I, I wanted an opportunity, but because of education, I didn't have that. Mm. Then the SAS came up and I applied for the SAS. And as I was going, the SAS created, there were people around me that were like me. They were determined, they were professional, they, they, they set goals. There were a whole raft of things that was missing in my previous world. Mm. So then there was a belonging there that then became my why. What was my purpose? And my why certainly um, became, I didn't want to go back to that life. Yeah. Those were beautiful people I was leaving. But my, my why in life was being part of this organization. Mm. I didn't have that why before. Wow. You know? But I had found it and what this opportunity created for me. I'll talk this through gently because I'm not sure really what I'm saying out loud. And it's, the, it's a conundrum I have on my podcast, right? Because I'm not a television show, I don't have a producer. It's just me and Will Fleming's ideas on life. And there's something really cool about that, but there's also something scary. Now, I've talked to other people who maybe have backgrounds uh, or a need for um, to be part of something, but they've, say, gone down a gang route. Now, would you say that on its most basic underlying human level, what the SAS gave you was this kind of acceptance out of a different life? Is that what people get when they follow the, you know, like a gang path or something? Is that you, you, you get uh, inclusion? Maybe we're not, maybe we don't realize just how important it is to have people who will be your people. The biggest thing for me was that everything my intrinsic, the way I am, the way I, 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 I function, mm. um, the way um, my mindset, it, 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 it the, the, what, what I'd found were people that were like-minded. Mm. They set goals. And when I look at the tenets of the SAS, relentless pursuit of excellence, yeah. humility, humor, you know, no, um, no sense of class. Mm things that I've, I didn't realize it then, but those core values in myself were resonating in this organization that I knew nothing about. Amazing. And I will resist to kind of always go back to that, but I guess you should know that most people in New Zealand will never be things like an SAS or a an all black. So so we immediately look at those and I've sometimes thought about that as our versions of movie stars, you know, in our minds because that is the elite, right? The ones who will go all the way. So most of us don't have to. So I don't want to just go back there uh but I probably, if you will entertain me, go there a couple of times because it's like a little fanboy, you know. I'm like, wow, I finally get one and I'm allowed to talk to them. Um, and I want you to say that's classified. So run me through the, the, the process because like Graylin and, and you'd moved here from Samoa. And well, I mean, what was New Zealand like then for you? New Zealand was hard. Uh, well, you know, I... Um you know, when I look at my parents, they were the they were the forebearers in terms of what we have now. Mm. And you've probably heard this before. You know, they left home uh, into this place that couldn't speak the language. They came here. They they were the leaders in our communities. That they came here for a better way of life, not for them, but for us. Mm. Uh, and into the unknown, we came. 
So we, we, we came here and, and I guess that, that was the motivation of me that I didn't want to let my parents, you know, you know, what is my excuse when I can speak the language, when I can do all these things where they couldn't, the world, they didn't have cars, they didn't have all mm. So that formed my early, I guess, um, mindset of, of, of being able to achieve things. That, mm. And then it was hard back then, you know, Pacific Island, um, we were a minority, uh, you know, marginalisation, a whole raft of things. That, and we were told that, you know, you can't achieve in this. And yeah, but but what, what, what I always had in my mind is that things will get better. Mm. That doesn't define me as a person or us. And, and if I look at my, my work in the police and so forth, advocacy in terms of diversity and inclusiveness, mm. in terms of leadership of Pacifica through New Zealand police and getting them into positions of influence. Um, and it's taking a while, but it's always driven me that, hey, you know, just because we're here doesn't mean we have to, that we have to accept this. And we're Kiwi, we're Pacific Kiwis, we're Kiwis, you know, even apart from the skin, uh, somebody spoke to me on the phone. Hey, that's a key. oh, yeah, yeah. So, so, so we belong here as much yeah. as anyone else, and we yeah. have those opportunities. And kind of school years. Yeah, St Paul's College was um, so it's Marisburg Bay. I'm a Catholic boy, and yeah. went to Marisburg Bay, and then off to Vermont Street, the old Catholic uh, brothers there, and St Paul's. Mm. Uh, we, uh, I was really good at sport, but not so good at school. <laughs> And, you know, to be, a, to be I, we never had the opportunity. Okay. I was, boy, go back and look after the siblings, uh, cook tea, mm. parents work two jobs. Uh, and, and it was just, you know, you didn't go home and do your homework. So we're my, we're my two eldest um, daughters, you know, they, they, I was, I was the worker mm. and everything scrubbing, it was my work. And mm. you find that in a lot of Pacific Q. Yeah. So when it came to school C, you know, didn't pass out at all. My two sisters went on ahead and tried it again. That was no good. Mm. And, but I loved school. I loved everything about it. But but I couldn't pass exams. And and, and I say because I didn't have the opportunity to yeah, yeah. Uh, for, for for good reasons. And then I left school and uh, and I could, I guess in terms of youth Pacific youth back then, it's um, off to the uh, labour markets. Yep. And, I, and that's when I became a storeman and labourer for the old Ministry of Works at Mangere. Wow. And I was there at, when I was 17 and, and and was there for a few years, knocking up some really hard nuts. And, and then um, that's when I started to think deeply about where I wanted to go, what I wanted to do. Mm. It was easy for me to sit there, you know, every Thursday, a few beers in the weekends, you know, down down to the old Lion Tavern. And it was a great life, you know, in your youth, but there was something missing. Mm. When I'm listening to you, I hear a little bit about this this internal spark, you know, it's the one that says there's, there, there's something more for me. Uh, even, you know, you, you go down and, and you have to fulfill your commitments. You, at 17, go to the markets, you you, you work, you know, you, you're looking after family, you're sacrificing the traditional, uh, well, education partly because of opportunity, but also because of other commitments, I, I presume. That drive, though, in you, I guess my question is, where do we get that from? Does that get passed to you? Is that something we're born with? Is that something that you picked up from someone in your family? You know, because because I tell you, when I was 17, I had no drive. 
I've had to learn how to become organized. I, I, we had a chat on the phone and, and I was two minutes late for your call because, you know, as a former policeman and SAS, you, we, we organized a call at 1300 and you rang right on the dot and I was doing something outside and missed it. And I was like, oh no, it's a one, one chance. I'm never going to call him. He's never going to answer my call. But, but um, I've had to learn as an adult how to find drive. Where does that spark come from for you? I, um, when I talk to my mum and dad, and I've always been that person. Mm. Uh, I've always been that person that will help out uh, at delivering milk runs, uh, paper runs, you know, always paper to the door, looking after the elderly. It's always been part of my nature. Mm. Uh, and, and also what's right and wrong and, the, and, and, and natural justice. Mm. Um, and, and, and a lot of us, but I, I always, um, I, I guess, when I do look back and if there's anything I can hold my head on, my head on is, is really my parents. But then I say that and there's a lot of others and some of my friends that, that have gone on and done jobs. Mm. So it's true and it's not true. But, yep. but it's what you want to hang on to. Yeah, yeah. It's that hope. It's that hope and belief yes. that my life is going to be better than this. Yes, you either got that or, or you haven't. Um, you know, I said really want uh, that desire, and and I and coming up and and you know going up to Kumu and getting rotten fruit and coming back home and no mm. food and three three teenage boys in a little bedroom and sharing and and I've and and that that I guess in itself that that environment drew me to say no, you know, there's got to be a better thing here. I love that because it really articulates, like some people say to me, you know, it's important in life to have hope. And I sit back sometimes and I think, what do we mean when we say things like that? You know, because that we, we talk about it like you can touch it. But it's, I always say in the podcast and to myself, it's like love. We talk about it, you got to love someone. It's important to be deeply in love. But these are things that don't really exist. They just kind of sit there, and the harder you look at them, the harder they are to see, because there's a different sense. And when you talk about, you know, having hope, um, you know, kind of being hungry, and I'm not saying it was like that all the time. I'm definitely not putting you, you know, in a box. I'm just saying there's enough things there that the, the hope still burns. And, and, and I really do think that's something, regardless of generation or time, that's the one thing we should always fight for, even though we don't really know what it is. Eh? What it is. You yeah. just gotta, you still gotta say it to yourself. Like, I really hope. Like, I think that's what movies tell us at a deep subconscious level. You know, Rocky, it nearly doesn't win. He nearly doesn't win, but just at that last minute, you know, yeah, Rocky wins, and you're like, oh, maybe that's hope. Yeah, hope and, and belief and, and and also, you know, sometimes the danger of hope that doesn't eventuate. Mm, that's yeah, true. Having, having, having that resilience to yeah. say, okay, it didn't happen this time. Mm. Let's try again. Let's do it some other way. Yeah, yeah. Open mind up. And, and when I look at my life um, and when I first joined the police, uh, you know, that drove me. I wanted to be the best, you know, in terms of police, I just didn't. Well, I'm not nothing about constable. I, I wanted, if I'm going to be a police officer, I wanted to be the best police officer. Mm. Um, so, was the police after your first yes, job? So, yes, yes, so I went in as a labourer, yeah. and then I went into the SAS, and I I was there for 
two, three years. Wow. And then I left there and stayed in the territorial force. Yeah. Which, and so I was police and SAS at mm-hmm. the same time. And, and then I um, joined the police, which took me right up to 2015 when I got sick. Right. Was the SAS when you joined kind of legendary like now, you know, where where uh, obviously you've referred to 300 and only four yes. made it. So did, do you remember that time like it was yesterday? Like what did they do to test you? <laughs> oh, absolutely. It's, it was because, and, and I guess not having Google, not knowing what what it really was like, actually sheltered us in terms of what was coming. Mm. Um, because sometimes um, too much information uh, puts people off. <laughs> and we, I went, we, we all went in there, we did our thing, but we never knew what was coming, what, and it was tough. Mm. This is the toughest things I've ever done in my life, apart from parenting, and, <laughs> and the last four or five years of my life. Uh, and, and, and it was really, really tough. There was a whole lot of, um, particularly civilians. You know, when you think I was uh, a labourer driving a forecoist, and and um, the other gentlemen were, one was a teacher, the other was um, a university student mm. that just wanted to do something exciting before they went into their job. Uh, and um, the youngest had just come out of school type of thing. Um, so we all came, walked into the street, and then we went into this 15 months of hell. <laughs> 15 months of hell. I mean, yeah. uh, and, and I don't know if you can talk about some of that or not, but I'm fascinated because, because I, you know, I, I sometimes think uh, it doesn't matter how dark it gets, it's probably going to take a lot to get as dark as what you had to go through for that 15 months, right? It was, it was pretty pretty extreme, and uh, I, I, I reflect really fondly back at that time. But, uh, but also when, when, when I was going through, what I found was I was a lot more resilient than, than a lot of people. You mm. know, just little things like um, people got hungry <laughs> and, 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 or they got wet. Uh, just, just the human basic needs of shelter, which really... That's okay with me. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> wow. I've been hungry before. I've been wet before. Just those elements sort of keep me going. But but the biggest thing for me too was 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 the purpose. That's what drove me. The mm. purpose that drove me was I, I I didn't want to go back. You know, some people may go back and go back to university. Some people may go back and go back to teaching, whatever that was. But I didn't want to go back because I believed that I could be something else. Mm. Um, because I knew that if I went back, I'd be going back to the four boys, back and unloading trucks and stuff, where I, I felt I didn't belong there. Mm. And, and this is my new world, and this is my why. And that's that's what got me going every single... I got sore, I got hurt, I, but I just kept going because I, I wanted to finish this thing. I wanted to be part of this. Whether it was ESAS or Vodafone, whatever, but, but that was me. It could have been. It could have been, you know, a technician of the Vodafone. Yeah. But found, which then created the mindset through that. You definitely light up my brain when you're talking because it kind of sounds like, uh, well. The reason I don't have drive growing up is because I didn't know what it was like to be hungry. I didn't know what it was like to be wet. You know, those things bring out the drive. Um, I didn't have something chasing me like, if I don't achieve this, I'm going back. 
And I guess the tricky bit, right, is you might look at, say, someone like me and say, well, society won because the goal was to protect you and to give you everything you need for a life. I guess where I challenge that as an almost 40-year-old is it's too long to wait till you're 40 to find those things. You know, we can be doing this at 20 and 30. And and I look at our younger people too. And, you know, one of the things that just boggles my imagination because I am that product of, you know, uh, well, the the opposite to adversity, which is love, you know, um, if, if you're just given that, then you're not given other tools. And, you know, you can probably not really know what that hope is for you because it feels like a lot of um, our people, you know, Kiwis, you know, have horrible suicide rates. And and it's just, it's not, it's a, again, it's one of those things. We don't really know what we're talking about. Obviously, it's a mixture of different things, body, mind, soul, or whatever. But, but to have a kind of skill set where it's like, well, guess what? If you're hungry, I've already I've already been hungry like this. I know what to expect, and you know how do you give those? How do you give people the skills without actually throwing them a bit of yeah, yeah. dumping in life? You know. And I guess that that's what the research shows that even though I I come from that background and someone else comes from a different background, um, and there's our formative years that doesn't define us. So. Mm. What they're saying is you can still, as a leader, grow those uh, because the, the fact is um, with your growth mindset, you will, you, you will achieve it. Mm. Um, so because everyone's different and everybody, everyone interprets situations so, so differently, just like we're looking at today. Mm. You know, today's the first day of the lockdown yeah. and, 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 and it's so, so hard for people but it's in the way they interpret and use that information mm. is, is, is really what's going on here, you know, uh, to seek clarity. You know, we talk, you mentioned the first day of lockdown. It's going to be interesting to see how this is remembered because we're recording on the first day and it is really like a, a chapter. You can't really go back. You can't talk about how things used to be and it's it's difficult to go forward because as we know, we went from a stage two to four in like a day or two. So every day feels like it's a, a something new is coming and I guess for me, you know, that brings along fear, but also brings along, you know, I don't know how else to say it, but this excitement of I get to, we get to talk to you and we get to do other things and I've got all these guests booked, you know, and it's like, oh, this is because I'm home and I'm not finding, you know, work and the stress levels have gone down and all of a sudden I've spent the last 20 something hours with my family and the biggest danger that I personally have is, you know, uh, venturing out to go shopping, you know, because sure. That, that, sure. that's the scary yeah. bit. And and I do preface that I don't know how this exact moment will be reflected. Maybe things go deeper down. Who knows? But at the moment we can only, I guess that's what everyone's been saying, right? Live in the now that you can't control then you can't control the past you've just got today and uh that's so kind of cool because all i can do in this moment is just talk to you and that's that's the only thing we can control right and i you know i had i guess when i look at my journey um was you know what happened four or five years ago with me uh you know, I was uh, on top of my world. Mm. Well, 
uh, as a commander and police uh, and in charge of hundreds of staff and the world is great. You know, it was fantastic with promotion on the horizon and hugely respected leader in police. Then um, in a blink of an eyelid, it was gone. You know, it was just absolutely gone. Um, first stroke in January, in November, they said, thanks for your service, but because you're disabled, you have to go. Wow. And within 12 months, I all those dreams um, came to a halt. Then I had 18 months at home where rehabilitation with the Stroke Foundation and stuff and three strokes and heart surgery. And it all occurred within that 18 months, losing my dream job, um, 37 years in total. So I... I and, it, and then and I guess when I look, it just um, it just happened. And I had to deal with two two things. The first was the, the, the fact that I'd lost my income. Mm. I was the main breadwinner. And I lost um, my job. I was unemployed. I was just in my 50s. I was disabled. I'd lost 30% of my eyesight through, through, through this. Um, and all the status, all the dreams mm. of, of my job, then we had a mortgage, three kids at university, a whole raft of things. And and that was the material side of things. Mm. So it was having three strokes and heart surgery. Um, my GP and specialist said, you know, you're really, really lucky because you can go to bed tonight, you know, and you may not wake up. So there was that fear of dying. Mm. Okay. One thing was this, the other thing was that. And I had, and I went into dark places where I was sitting here for 80 months, the world carries on 10 hours a day, Monday to Friday. Mm-hmm. And really ha- having to find out what my why was, what was my purpose, what what is going to get me out of this, the depths of falling into depression and bills to pay, I can go to bed tonight, not wake up in the morning. There was a whole lot of things going on, and it was harder than any 300 uh, people not passing and for an ECS or hostage situations, whatever that is. But all of a sudden, at my almost retirement life, I had to really stand up again and mm-hmm. think. And, and what I looked at is, what's my purpose? I know what got me out of bed for 30 years, safer communities together. That was my purpose, crimes, investigator. Um, whatever that was, but then I had nothing. And and when I reflect on, well, uh, well, that weeks working, thrashing my body, doing all sorts of manner of things, my 16-year-old daughter said to me, um, I said, oh, you know, I'll be able to um, spend more time and work at home now and, you know, work normal hours like mum. And, and she was 16, walking down the drive, and she turned around and said, but you do work normal hours, Dad. Hmm. I thought, yeah, well, that's pretty telling, isn't it? Right, <laughs> right. Wow. And, yeah, and I've never been part of that yeah. stuff. So, yeah, it's, but, but going back to my why, I, it was a job. I need a job to feed my family, yeah. family, and then me, where all of a sudden it was all about me. Hmm. Oh, my why was about me because if I'm not fit, if I'm not emotionally sound, if I'm not, not spiritually mindful, if I'm not intellectually testing myself in these 18 months, then I can't be there for my family. And then I can get a job later. 
a job, you know, paying the bills and that will come. Yeah. But this is all about me now and my period of rehabilitation. Yeah. So I guess that's what drove me on. That's what got me out of bed, my new why. Yeah, get tough fit, you know. I, I'm a church man. I keep going to church, and yeah. I, I, I read, and I and I did. I, I got into the Institute of Directors. I got onto a couple of um, charitable boards, so I can give some back to communities mm. and stroke foundations. So I actually pushed myself out there, and 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 I did some other stuff. And I was also a mentor for the Auckland Business Chamber. Mm. So I, I just consumed my time um, learning and expanding my, my knowledge as well as looking after myself and those four colours mm. as well as being time with my family. <laughs> wow. I mean, again, my brain's on fire. It's lighting up because you're talking about all these things. And I guess one before I forget it, immediately for this day one of lockdown, some people have been thrust out of their dream jobs, right? They've had to force closed down and and I guess they may be entering that dark place where this is what I've built all my life and you're telling me that I can't and it, you know maybe not through a medical intervention but just through a, a, a societal so so there's people maybe watching this or listening to this and I guess it's holding on to that hope yeah I I only talk through my own experience Will and what 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 I like it's really tough. Thirty first of December there was one case, you know, in the three months we're sitting at lockdown. Little old New Zealand tucked away somewhere else. Jobs are being lost. Mortgages can't be paid. There's a whole raft of things that are consuming our communities. Then there's also the possibility that one of them may get sick. Somebody may, you know, the, the, if you take all those layers away about cues being at park and say so the fact is this is dangerous. Mm. Somebody could die here because people are dying overseas. I mean, that's 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 what our purpose is keeping us safe, mm. and keeping me safe, keeping my family safe, our neighbours, our wider communities. And the way we're going to keep ourselves safe is to listen, is to hear what's going on with you know all the messages that are coming through, washing hands, social distancing. Because that's that's what we have to do in order to keep ourselves safe. That's mm. our why now. That's how I believe our why is. It's our families keeping and, and, and adhering to the information. It's trusting the authorities, trusting them as we trust our, our, our staff members, whatever it is. We've got to trust that they are out there looking after us. And we have to have that commitment to trust just from a tactical point of view, because I guess there's different levels we're talking about. Um, I'm thinking of people like myself who, you know, the mind gets away on us. We we, we, we love to connect dots, don't we? We're kind of, it's one of our strengths as humans. We can connect dots and interpret things. But sometimes I think in particular social media added to uh, moments like these, it, it fuels the mind and all of a sudden it can't turn off. And, and I think sometimes that we also run the risk that there's not just the COVID danger, but there's ourselves, that we become you know, out of control, if you like, in these confined spaces. Um, and, and I wonder if you might be able to dip into your kind of, 
you know, maybe it's police um, background or the SAS about how they prepared you for extremely stressful situations that that you had to something like be the best in the worst case scenario. When I was um, the tactical operator um, commander, they sent us overseas for for a course, um, and the course was was pressurised with six weeks. And it was all around human behavior when dealing with critical mass. That's what it was. So they put us into um, two hour scenario, and each each one of the uh, commanders went through the scenario. And and then what I've done in my own experience, but what what it was, was it starts off with a phone call, something's happening. And they set it up, set up like you're sitting in your office. Oh, yeah, okay. Then you get your uh, you get your radio going. Oh, this is what's going on. Okay, and you're sitting there taking notes just like you would. And then you stand up, walk down the corridor, turn left, and there's this great big like IMAX in a big stage, and it's interactive. And as you walk up, it's just like you arrive at a at a scene of, of an incident, and you've got all these people, media, all on top of you, um, and the wanting a bit of the commander. Uh, and it's quite interesting because you, you they play it back and so forth. But there's the single most thing that came out at about ninety percent of, of, of the uh, participants was, um, and the, and the psychologists that were viewing it was breathing. Wow! That, that because you're all tense, you know, you knew something bad was going to happen. I knew that I was going to be whacked. That as soon as I walk through that door, there's going to be bad stuff. Because that's what happens in real life. You know, you turn up as a commander, everyone wants a bit of a commander. But how do we keep that leader calm? How do we, under all that extreme pressure, how do we do it? And what they found was people were already tense um, and, and they were anticipating. And there was pressure and they were starting to breathe shallow. And, they, and what they found is if you drew, you, you can practice it now, and I find I do it too, that you've got to breathe because if you slow your breathing down, diaphragm, and just nice and easy and count how many times you breathe in a, in a minute. And what it does, it calms you. And also, it calms your heart rate. And it allows you to actually think. And, it, and, it, and you find yourself just calming down and the anxiety levels drop. And it's only at that time that you can start to think clearly and you can start to think rationally wow. and then prioritise what you do. And we went to a place, um, we were um, placed in Auckland called Breath, Breath, Breathing Works. And and a lot of keynote speakers and so forth go there. Uh, and they sent me there. And it was all around recognising things that happen, but actually calming coming it all down through your breathing mm. and it's an amazing it's an amazing thing so when you're at home and the kids are and whatever's happening and all this thing on tv you find yourself actually you start to hyperventilate a little and you get a bit short right you, you know, people actually have physical um their heart beats and, and they could have chest pains people have mild chest pains just through the mechanisms of breathing um so yeah. so is anything practice and there's a lot of stuff online, but even today's environment, kids, what's happening on TV, the environment, just breathe, cup of tea in the backyard, look into the beautiful day, 
and just have that five minutes to yourself. I used to do it where I used to be consumed at an incident, and I used to just go to the toilet, shut the door, sit there, and for two minutes just relax, start breathing, start to rationalize, just so, and start overthinking, calming down, and then thinking about what's going on outside. And then prioritizing and coming out with a small voice. Oh, wow. You know, and I mean, you've done lots of media, you've done all these things. Does anyone ever talk about that? Because I feel like it's a giant, but we we purposefully don't look at, you know, we just need the leader to be the leader and get up there. But these are all the things that make the leader. It does. I mean, I think we think as a collective society that, Shutting the door and having some time by yourself is is weak or something, eh? But but it's not. It's it's otherwise you're just you, you must be in that uh, fight mode where you're just yeah, adrenaline's yeah. taking over and hyperventilating and. I used to get caught at one in the morning and there's an armed incident down at wherever it is, and I've got twenty minutes to get there, and I know what I'm doing. <laughs> you know, I've done it so many times before, but when you got the cordon, you got staff there and I'll be there for half an hour before then and all amped you know they're wanting they just want you to arrive and if you turn up and you're dithering or you're indecisive or there's a shaky voice just if the commander or the leader panics then if the parent panics in the household um, does that instill fear mm. depression um Whatever that is now in your in my family that I talk about is what it's like when I get up, there's a command that they're looking at me for their stability, their duck with a little no calm. Mm. One thing under these critical times you can present is calmness. And I always used to smile because I found smiling and people smile back. <laughs> it becomes infectious, particularly when a lot of rubbish is going on. Yeah. And, and, and that sort of calms in a little bit of banter and a little bit of humour mm. because it actually does lighten the load. And and, and the essay is humour is one of their their human humility are part of their tenants because Sir David recognised that war is tough, life is tough, leadership's tough. And you've got to lighten up, man. Mm. You've got to smile and just 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 everything's tough and nothing tougher than essays. <laughs> and when you're out there. But, you know, it's, 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 it was too easy. How was that, bro? Too easy. Oh, you know, next time. And, and the humour, just self-depreciating humour, mm. because it keeps us grounded. You know? <laughs> so, okay, everything's cool. Yeah. Cool. Deal with the facts. Let's just deal with the facts. It's so it's so interesting because uh, your well, you said he was your uh, old colleague Lance Burdett. He also said the thing he's not seeing is people smiling, and I think we all think in general population or you know people who just do the nine to five, uh, who have never dealt with say crisis or the, the, the that kind of stuff that that would be triggering to others that we're not feeling sorry or something for the people who are doing it tough. But I guess I guess they're two different things. Eh? It's what you're saying is you, you have to, it's a human need to um, to find the light uh, in yeah. these dark situations. And, and I hope we don't, like, 
I think people will have permission when you say it, just in their own mind. Because I know I feel myself, right? I I probably don't want to admit to people when I'm talking that actually, um, one, I feel extremely grateful that I I can work from home, that I have a skill set that allows me to, and that we have enough space when the Prime Minister says go outside. You know, that's not everyone's story, so I acknowledge that. But I definitely feel awkward saying, I'm loving being with my family. Because it feels like for me, I'm kind of crapping over everyone else who's who's lost so much. But this is the complexity of life, isn't it? That we just it have is. to work through this. Yeah, work through it, and and it's all about prioritising, mm. you know. And and I had to go through that, and we're all going through it now. But what's the most single important thing right now? And that's the safety of our families. Yeah. And and, and how far reaching it is if we went outside. Mm. We don't have to hear just social. Because we only got two, three, four weeks. You know what happens if it doesn't work uh, and it gets worse? So that's the most single why I get up in the morning, as everyone should. And if we all play our part and listen to authorities, our why is to keep our community safe. Me, that's it. Simple as that. Now we have to have the mindset to commit to it. It's got to be our desire. When we get up, that's all. No, you can't go down the road. No, you've got to stay here. You're not meeting up with your mates. No, we're here. We're in it together. Conversations within our families because, you know, this is where it comes from. Are we committed to the why? Mm. Uh, where's our desire to achieve that? And it's got to be. It's got to be 100%. And once we have that, what what is our commitment? We would do a, we would do the, we would have our little plans. Let's have a little plan, okay? What happens with the, let's get the pantry sorted, just in case, you know? Mm. And it gives them some purpose, and also it gives them relief that there's some comfort there that if someone were to were to be sick, then here's our head, and then we got our little plan all sorted. Everyone needs a plan for even our kids right up to the adults. Everyone needs a plan, a contingency plan, a thing. See, and and it brings anxiety levels down, and it brings teamwork within your families to achieve the why. Mm, yeah. Wow, Vitaly, would you say it's fair to kind of? I was just thinking about your story that you've told us today, and you know, there's this drive, there's this desire for you know that that um, life has more for you, that you believe you you know that it's not just what everyone tells you you can be, you can do what you want, but I because I think we look at things like that as you know, that these are amazing mindsets, but there is risk in it too, right? Because I guess you, and this is what I'm asking, is is it fair that you had to push and you kind of got on this level of, you know, these long days became normal, but the risk was that you can have a stroke and and then you had to go down a whole nother deep, dark hole and so it's kind of like I sometimes feel like there's this pendulum and our goal is to try and align it the best we can so there's a bit of dark, a bit of light and if you, hopefully one doesn't take over. And I've been asked that a number of times well, for my own family and, uh, and also when I keynote on leadership um, that you know, was it the reason why I got sick and the reason why my 16-year-old asked me that. Um, so yes, I, I, I guess... You are the author of your own destiny sometimes. Mm-hmm. And then I fully accept uh, that, um, as other people would. But do I have any regrets? No. Yeah. 
absolutely not. Yeah. You know, even after being sick, uh, and you know, if I could be back in, the, I had to go leave the police because I had to. But I've got no regrets at all, and as long as I'm dear in my heart about that, and it was always about serving. Mm. Um, so, and that, that was my why, yeah. and, and and that's why I was so committed to it. <laughs> you all be at that my health and issues around my own family growing up, but now they still love me dearly. <laughs> mm. You know, it's and and that's testament in terms of yes, in the end all. And, and my, my eldest daughter, she's a doctor serving communities um, and, and so forth. So it just rubs off and I hope now I'm saying to her, don't go to work, don't go to work, <laughs> don't go to hospitals. She goes, Dad, I need you. Yeah. Remember, remember, you got to ask yourself, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, we, we all make mistakes. No one's I've made so many mistakes in my life. <laughs> and it's, it is also like a worthy sacrifice. I'm, I mean, I definitely don't say it was awesome for you to go through that. But, it, you know, you pushing that hard, we don't know how many things you helped in real life for everyone else to keep living their life, right? Like the, all the SAS stuff and the police, I mean, it's almost like if you, you know, I talked about Rocky before, and if you could see Rocky today, he wouldn't be bubbly Rocky. He'd have probably a bit of brain damage, uh, bodies. <laughs> I mean, you see it with former rugby players. They sacrifice their bodies for um, maybe it's a little bit of entertainment and also to help us believe that you can be these physical masterpieces. But you meet all blacks, you know, who are retired and they've got the shoulder thing and this thing. And I mean, there's a sacrifice to it all. And, and, I do think, though, that it, it, if you think about it like that, it's a it's a way more, you know, there's way more lessons to pass on, you know, that if you're going to push that hard, go for it, because life tells you, you can be anything you want to be. I just wish they said, but it, it all comes at a cost, so. <laughs> yeah. It does, and, and, and that's where a lot of my life has been pushed recently, uh, you know, on charitable boards mm. and um, and business mentoring, uh, it's all voluntary. Mm-hmm. Um, we still do a lot of voluntary uh, keynote speaking and and impactful conversations. Yep. That's what I'm about now. And yep. uh, if I can take any of that 37 years of um, professional and personal life and add some value uh, to 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 the conversation, mm. then that's and and with no reward. <laughs> I'm just carrying on giving, but giving it. The only way I can now, mm. the only way I can, and sharing, um, and that's what I'm about. Amazing. That's what gets me out of bed. Yeah, and it's making us <laughs> get out of bed too. Yeah, <laughs> well, there's all of us listening and asking ourselves, what's our why? And when you talk like that, it makes it helps us, right? Because it's the, it's like saying things like, "What's your hope?" You need examples to hear from people, and I reckon they got to say them out loud. We shouldn't assume that when you look at a Richie McCaw or something that just seeing him do it is enough. He got to sit down sometimes and break down these bits, and and that's why I'm very thankful that you do because I don't think it was always like that. We we didn't always ask people, or people didn't see it valuable to share their vulnerabilities. But I know that that is what helps me because I, I need to know that uh, you can be whatever you want, and uh, but I also need to know that 
okay, we don't know what that that doesn't mean you have to be perfect, you know. It seems to be those are the the measurements in life. How how PR relatable are you? And do you have a social media following? And it just becomes too, you know, too stale, and it doesn't drive you. It's not enough. No, and also, like, when, when I talk about, I guess, my achievements, the huge kind of failures and obstacles that, you know, I had, uh, I tried five times to get into the police, mm-hmm. five times, and, and, and managed to get there, and it's, it's you know, when I left school, uh, when I education, I couldn't speak English when I first started school, mm. you know, you got to go back and you know, night school, and because you know, they wouldn't let you in police if you didn't have school seat. Mm. You know, you just got to back yourself in terms of, you know, if you can't go through it, go around it up. But well, you've heard that, you know. But in terms of your your what you want to do that stuff, and and that's your commitment, and desire mm. to do it, yeah. uh, and your outlook. You know, you got to be absolutely positive in terms of. Um, because these are opportunities for us, the time we're spending, time together with family, it's forced upon us like home detention, isn't it? But isn't it beautiful already that, that we're working together as a family, as a team, keeping each other, chatting. Uh, we, we don't get this time and we probably won't get it again, but it's, it's just unique. Like today it's unprecedented. It's, well, this, is, this time is for us too because we're so busy, consumed with technology and a whole lot of things. Mm. So, great opportunities there are for us right now um yeah it's just mind-boggling isn't it just one question and we're kind of um coming to the end so we'll loop kind of a little bit back around when you first um you know i guess went from you know the laborer and and that type of work into you know a highly distinguished role arguably one of the most elite smallest clubs that aotearoa has to offer the sas what did your parents think? <laughs> um, well, I'd lost my dad then, so okay. he passed away quite early. Um, and and my mum, she didn't understand what it was. <laughs> <laughs> so there was no like, yeah, he made it. There's, there's son, be careful. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she knew I was in the army, but she didn't um, fully understand the magnitude of it for some years later. Mm. Some years later, because I'd only lost my dad about a year or so before then, before I went into the SAS. So she was still grieving. Um, he was 47, she was 45. Right. And I went to the SAS about a year later. Um, so I, that, that sort of compounded the... But much later, you know, they were so, so proud uh, of both police and SAS. Mm. But, but at that, that juncture of my life, uh, it was quite a um, tumultuous time. Um, losing my dad and going, and then going into uh, this SAS thing. <laughs> and for mum, it was um, it was just the army. <laughs> yeah, but immensely proud. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just I like to acknowledge that because uh, you know, as you've made a sacrifice, we acknowledge at the beginning that they did, and I have that from my mum too. Who, you know, um, five kids coming from Raro, but not all together coming over. You know, sometimes with gaps, and so everyone makes sacrifice so that. Um, and, and I acknowledge that when I sit here and say, you know, I, I didn't grow up with drive and all these things, but it, it was because they had so much adversity. She just wanted me to have a life, you know, and, and this is what I've we have lots of chats about this. My mum and I am like, it's 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 good because 
we can take the hardness of her life and the easiness of my life and put those two things together. Yeah, and yes. and now we have we know we have to have a bit of both, you know. So sometimes you got to have that rocket up you so you can go, <laughs> and other times you got to have the parachute on so you can yeah. glide through. And and yeah, and, no. and I just hope that's the hope that people hold on to, and you know, during these times because they're uncertain, you know. And for many of us, we don't haven't been through that uncertainty, and I just don't want that part of our brain that darkness that sits there to take over because it shouldn't um, when I hear you speak it can be if I bet you if you put your life on a graph it's like hard 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 but out of that comes all of these smaller moments which I, I think if you add them up they will equal more good moments yeah, they will. They will, will, and 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 also have have that kindness about yourself. You mm. know, uh, that empathy at this time. That it's okay to 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 feel to feel mm. the anguish, and the anxiety. It's 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 okay to have a tearful moment. Uh, it's okay to 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 embrace those loved ones that we find hard to say, "Look, I love you too." Mm. It's, it's now these times that. Um, that it's it's fine. It's fine to love and to be kind and to laugh and and and, and do things that we sometimes don't do <laughs> openly. I just also think it's amazing that you know someone who's been in some of the toughest positions in life professionally can sit there and say kindness love i mean thumbs up to you brother because oh, no but we, we need to hear that because i think sometimes we get confused that oh you're the strong man and you're the emotional one and you know it's like like a, a range of a pop stars and it's like no we all that and it's a little bit of what we have inside us and a bit of what was given to us and you know all of these things society puts on us all so uh it is a it's a nice adventure and and a tough one you know i, I look at life sometimes and i'm like far out what's the deal man like <laughs> why why does it seem like some days there's no way through and then some little thing will happen and you'll be like ah okay i, I can i can see that you know and i have that with kind of like uh maybe it's talking about faith or something because I think sometimes very scientifically, and then I sit down and I'm like, I think it's all, we're talking about the same thing. Same you know, <laughs> it's this because the deeper you go, it just becomes into this whole area of well, we don't really know, and yes. this is exactly uh, what science says about you know, well, you can't prove it, <laughs> you know, no, and no. and so it all muddles together. But again, I. I just want to be a space where we can we can because most of life I think is about talking um, kind of across the aisle, you know, and, That's and right. yeah. we sometimes yeah. fall into the traps, particularly I think when we're scared of right. This is what I know, and this is what I'm going to hunger down to, where where um, you know life, whether it be a grand plan or evolution or or a mixture, it puts us all together, and it, it says does. work it, it out, and and. And I tell you what, when even if you're awesome, one day you won't be here. So someone else got to work it out. And <laughs> there's always the potential for it not to be worked out. But um, you know, like yeah. we're we're in day one, and and well, I don't day one. And, you know, in terms of um, the families, the families out there is just you know practice that breathing. Mm. You know, just really a cup of tea outside and just deep breathing and. And, and it just slows you down a little bit. Um, 
it really does. And, and you know, just deal with the facts and, you know, just look at the news twice, three times a uh, so it doesn't consume, mm. you know, there's sometimes overload, just too much. And I find as a commander, there's too many advisors, there's too much stuff. Right. You, know, you know, so hang on, hang on. Where's the real source of truth? And just dealing with that one platform and not looking at it every five minutes. Um, just, just having some control. You can control those mm. things at home. You can control your breathing. You can control how many times you look online because it can consume you. And then when you're under critical mass like this, you don't want that. And you just want to deal with the facts. Just deal with them. Don't, don't, what ifs, you know, but what, you know, just deal with the facts. And this is what we know. And this is listening, trust in the authorities that they've got us in the right position to get through this together. Mm. And, and, and then have a cup of tea, have a laugh and smile. And we'll just carry on. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> that's awesome. Vitaly, where can people um, follow you if they want to continue your story or connect with you? If there's, look, there's a, an emerging need now for the exact skill sets you have, not just the, the tactical one, but you've been through the life ones as well. Yeah, I got my webpage, which is my business webpage. There's, so that's um, Vitaly at impactfulconversations.co.nz. Um, and it's got all my information there, and also I'm on LinkedIn, mm-hmm. um, if anyone wants, and also Instagram. So, uh, or they just Google Vitaly Lafayette, and it's there because I'm on a couple of keynote speaking uh, platforms as well. Awesome. So, there you have it. <laughs> Beautiful, brother. Uh, you know, it's funny because this has given me an opportunity, meaning. Uh, COVID has given me an opportunity to change a little bit of my tactics. Normally, my podcast is called Please Blow My Mind, and I'm, I've been trying to encourage myself and others to think outside of your bubble and to and to really look at what else is happening. But, but what this has shown me is that's just one capacity of seeing the world. In times like these, it's about you don't have to push the mind out so much further. You know, sometimes bring it back a little bit and, and, and just analyze maybe within what's happening that it's not always about pushing out sometimes it's contracting and this is what life tells us too you know our breathing is it goes out and in and i mean i'm a pretty metaphorical guy but sometimes it all clicks for me that you have to all work at the push and pull of life and we always say it and everything but it it doesn't mean anything until it means something. So I've been, I normally ask my guests, you know, do you have one mind blowing moment that, you know, changed the way you see the world, but it doesn't feel relevant to ask at the moment. So maybe it's the opposite. You know, do you have a moment where you felt like in life, everything just clicked and all the struggle was, you know, uh, gone for the day? Does that, does that moment exist for you? I guess was my children's um, celebrations and their achievements. Um, I mean, being a parent and, and, and marriage, and, you know, they were major, major um, landmarks in all our lives. Was, but I guess um, when, when my daughter graduated, um, she was the first to graduate, uh, and I knew the struggle she had gone through, eight years of study, um, and then coming out and her mindset to get through it. Uh, and then she had the graduation and there's a photo, family photo uh, outside the town hall. And that, at that time, um, I thought, wow, you know, that's, um, and she's the same one that said to me, Dad, uh, hey, that's your norm. 
Um, so it was that special time that collectively, myself, my family, my, my wife, had invested so much and given so much and shown so much as parents that she could achieve such a thing. And that was my, and it was all about my family. Mm. You know? I love it. You know, I love it so much because we all have the chance to achieve that. That's something that doesn't matter your wealth status, the color of your skin, any of those things. You can have a baby if you uh, if you follow the steps of making someone love you, be love worthy. You know, you can go through the ringer of as I am and many other are of, you know, these young kids and they get up your goat sometimes and you're just trying to hold on and the pressure of the world of trying to pay for everything, etc. And and every now and then there must be those glimmers that come through right it's and the math doesn't add up but it does because you just said it you know it's all these years eight years of her struggling and then the years before of you raising and going through all these things and it came out in that those moments and when i reflect back on my upbringing and you know i didn't want that for them (laughs) i knew that i'll be a parent one day (laughs) when i left and i saw how far my parents struggled and I ended up as a labourer and so forth. But I looked, when I have children, when I, whatever profession that I have, in the years to come, that's why that's moment mm. special for me. Mm. You know, so now from those years to now 50 years, whatever, 40 years, you know, she's a doctor. My son's a solicitor. I'm not saying this for, for anything for because I'm... Um, I'm just saying that that's what I've achieved in my life. Mm. And the legacy, and she's a doctor, my son's a solicitor, my daughter's uni. Um, and I can think, and with my wife, think, you know, that brings, that's special. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't about me, but it's so special. Mm, that's <laughs> awesome. Brother, thank you so much for joining me. Um, I forget sometimes that I'm recording for everyone else too, but I really, uh, you know, I've enjoyed this and I enjoy every oh, chat I, I have and, get, you know, getting to know you. And it feels kind of different because it is, you know, we don't have the option to kind of go outside and go down to warehouse and muck around like we normally do. And, and so all we've really got is each other. And that's probably how it always should have been. But we get a little bit confused. And today I feel like... Uh, you know, we just had a couple of things working in our favor, each other, and trying to keep each other afloat, right? Because <laughs> it's easy to yeah. sink. And um, I just want to thank oh, you from on behalf of me and everyone listening and watching. And uh, yeah, I think we'll just wrap it there and we'll get back to reality because day two isolation tomorrow. If things <laughs> get hard, I'm going to call you and say, can you come back on the podcast? <laughs> but, oh, thank you so much, yeah, Will. Awesome. And thank you for the opportunity. I mean, we will have a sorry for it or fast. Hey team, hope you enjoyed that episode featuring Vitale. Um, Give him a follow, you know, connect up. Really amazing that those stories sit just under the surface, waiting to be told. Uh, It fascinates me that 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 isn't a household name. I mean. It is a household name, but for the different reasons, celebrating the commissioner, celebrating, you know, the SAS, and that is how I found out about Vitaly, but 
you know, we need to celebrate the story, the arc of his journey, and 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 you know, it was not the peak at the SAS. It was just the tools needed to get through the tougher times of the stroke. And there's lessons that we can learn. So I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you found value. Speaking of value, I am pushing my Patreon page. So it's a little bit cheesy because I'm out here kind of selling a little bit. But look, this is the new digital world. And I know that if you're doing things that you deeply care about and that others find value in, we're willing to chip in. And that's kind of what I'm suggesting today. If you find value in the podcasts I do and the content I make and the breasts breasts the guests i bring you uh please consider um donating 10 bucks it's probably hard right now right everyone's like whoa you said breasts sorry should we get back to the cell okay if you would like to donate ten dollars a month to this guy right here the guy in your ear the guy in your little device that'd be awesome um, that'll help me to carve out more time the more patreons i get to do more content like this and we can sit around and blow our minds together and then calm them at the same time and do the push and pull of life where we can jump in and out of whatever we need okay I'm going to stop talking because I'm still thinking of me saying breasts. I hope you are well wherever you are. I hope you're safe wherever you are. And yeah, we'll see you next time on my podcast. Please blow my mind with me, Will Fleming.